Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to come together as a church. We're thankful to uh, be able to come and eat uh, together, to, to fellowship together, to laugh together, and then to study your word together. Lord, I pray that tonight is, again, an important time. I pray that your truth uh, goes out, that your truth rings out. I pray that we are built up uh, as your people tonight. We are built as your church tonight. I, I pray for our, for our kids' classes tonight. I pray as they're hearing this lesson, uh, that they're understanding who Christ is and they're, uh, they're forming their response uh, to the truth of who you are. And I, I pray, Lord, that you bless that time, uh, that you use that time, that you're known through that time. I pray for our youth tonight as they are meeting. I pray that you're leading them, directing them. Uh, I pray as they hear again in these verses uh, the identity of Christ, that they, uh, some of them will turn to you for the first time and that all of them will see you uh, for who you are, as you tell us in Scripture. I pray that you bless that time, especially in a day uh, when the truth is being robbed away. I pray for us tonight. I pray for the other adult classes tonight. I pray that you would uh, lead us tonight, convict us tonight, grow us tonight, build us up tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak, uh, that we would have ears to hear and, and hearts and minds to respond. And I pray that you'd be pleased uh, in the process. We, we come and we just tell you we love you and we worship you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to get started. We're moving along uh, in, our, in our Bible study, the grand scheme of things. If you remember, we started all the way back in the book of Genesis. We're going through all of Scripture, uh, seeing where we see Christ uh, in, in all of Scripture, the story of Christ as, he, as it unfolds. Uh, we're moving along now. We are now in the gospel accounts. Uh, we are moving through, as, as best we can, chronologically, the life of Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves tonight. Uh, this is the 69th lesson already. And again, we're, we're moving through the life of Jesus. Tonight our lesson is entitled, Come and See. Come and See. If you've got a worksheet, uh, you can follow along on that. Our key verses tonight are found in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 49. John chapter 1 verses 35 through 49. I'm going to go ahead and read the verses here at the start, and then we'll come back and, and break down the verses. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 35, it says this, Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, 
Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Those will be our verses tonight. That's an interesting set of verses. Um, it's actually a set of verses where Jesus uh, is calling those that would be his disciples, we're going to see that, uh, to actually see him as the Christ and to follow him in faith. Now, a lot of times I have in the past considered the calling of the disciples, uh, which is a different account altogether. He finds them by the sea, tells them to follow him. It says they drop their nets immediately and they follow him as disciples. Sometimes I've confused it with this account when really he is calling them to follow him in faith, seeing him as the Christ, as the Messiah. Uh, the key point tonight, if you have your worksheet, is Jesus begins his preaching ministry, and that ministry has now started. Uh, he's traveling around announcing he is the Christ, uh, teaching and preaching. And so that ministry has now started. Uh, we see that he's not just passing on information or a set of facts. Now, that's an interesting thing. He's not just going and, and leading lectures. He's not just going and say, let me show you some things about Scripture. He's not doing just that, but he is calling for a response. And so his preaching has a purpose. His teaching has a purpose. He's calling for a response. As people hear that Jesus is the Christ, they are to respond in faith to that reality. Well, all of that's going to be sewn up together tonight for us uh, today, in the same way, the truth of Jesus calls for a response of faith. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, we're not here uh, saying, hey, we know all things Jesus, and we're going to teach a lot of things about Jesus, uh, but not calling for a response. Uh, the truth of Jesus calls for a response of faith. Now, that's a big deal. Um, in the mission of the church, and uh, what we do as a church, we introduce people to Jesus. We teach people of Jesus. Our kids tonight are learning these same set of verses. Uh, we're telling people of Jesus, uh, all, of the, all of it, our kids, our youth, us as adults, so that people will respond in faith. And so all of that is that we would say, you know what, he is the Christ. We understand him to be our Savior and that we would respond to him in faith. So that's a big deal. What he's teaching calls for a response. What we're teaching tonight uh, calls for a response as well. All right, let's look at the verses. We're going to go piece by piece uh, through the verses. Starting in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, in verse 35, uh, see that over time, over the course of his ministry, it wasn't that long, uh, John the Baptist also had drawn some to follow him as disciples. So they hear what he's doing, they see what he's doing, and they follow him as disciples. Um, a disciple, we're going to see this all the way through our study, uh, is a person who chooses to follow, or literally, in the literal translation is to walk after a mentor or teacher. So there would be a rabbi, there would be a teacher, and they would spend time with them. They would travel with them. Uh, they, would, they would actually go through life walking with them uh, 
to learn from them. Well, as John the Baptist's disciples, uh, they would have taken up his mission. They would have taken up his cause. Now, remember what he's doing. He is preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. That is his mission. So as his disciples, they would have been on the same mission. They would have heard that he's calling people to see sin. They would have heard that he's calling them to repent of their sin. Uh, they, they would have heard and known that he's preparing the way for the Messiah. And so these are disciples of John the Baptist who also would have been on the same mission. Verse 36. And he looked, John the Baptist looked, at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now this is the second time that, that John the Baptist makes this statement. Uh, it is a statement of identification. He is standing there with at least uh, these two disciples. He sees Jesus coming up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now that word for behold in, in, in the original language means uh, look, and it, it really is an aggressive word, look, uh, see. And so he's there with his disciples. They are on their mission. They see Jesus approaching, and he says, look, see, uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Um, that is a deep statement. That is a, a big statement. Uh, these two disciples, here's what he's saying to them. This is the one that we've been preparing people for. We've been preparing folks for the Messiah. He's actually saying, well, this is the one. That's their mission. He walks over the hill. This is the one that we've been preparing people for. Um, I think it's pretty interesting, a, a very telling thing about John the Baptist. Uh, he's not seeking to build his followership. Uh, he, he might have said, you know what, I'm getting kind of popular out here. It says all of Jerusalem is coming out to hear him. I've got disciples of my own. It's going pretty good. He might have tried to build something for himself. He might have said, you know what, I need, I need disciples to help me in this mission. For sure he didn't want to lose these two disciples, but instead what he does very quickly is defer to Christ. Um, it's not about him. Hey, there's the one we're preparing for, and he points to Jesus. Let me tell you something. In, in our world, and you see it today in, in a lot of, especially with the the internet and the ways we, way we have to promote ministries today, a true minister of Christ will point to Jesus. Uh, it, they're not building their kingdom. They're not building their world. They'll point to Jesus. It's always about Christ. All right, verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak. They heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. Now, these two disciples hear what John is saying, John says, hey, there's the one we've been preparing people for. That is the Lamb of God. They hear what he's saying, and it says they follow Jesus. Uh, it's interesting here, the Greek word for follow, in that one word, it can mean two things. It can mean to follow in proximity, which means location. Hey, where you're going, that's where I'm going to go, to follow in, in location. But it also can mean to follow as a leader, uh, which means to follow in position. You're, you're the leader, and so I'm going to get in and follow you. I think it's interesting when you look at what happens here, the first thing leads to the second thing, which means this. The first thing they do is follow Jesus in location, and that results in them following, in Jesus, with following Jesus as their leader. And so the first thing leads to the latter thing. All right, verse 38 and 39. 
And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Jesus turns and he asks them, what do you seek? I think it's interesting, again, this also has a double-sided meaning, just like uh, the verse ahead of it. Uh, on a lighter level, he, he says, what are you seeking? And they're seeking to go with him. We want to be where you're at. Where are you going? That's where we want to be. Now, that's on the lighter level, but on a deeper uh, level, they're also looking for Jesus. They're looking for the Christ. They're looking for the Messiah. And so he says, what are you seeking? First off, we're seeking to go where you're going. Second thing, we're looking for the Christ. And so both of those things are going to be answered uh, in, this, in this set of verses. Um, notice he, here um, the two men refer to Jesus as rabbi. And so I, I sit there and go, I wonder at what speed the lights are coming on. Uh, we're looking for the Messiah. He said this is the Lamb of God. I don't know that it's all at once. I think maybe it's happening in a progression. And so they call him rabbi. This, this signifies that they at least see him as a respected teacher, a great teacher. And so they, they may already be processing and be ahead of that, but the, at the least they say he's a great teacher. He's worth somebody, uh, somebody that's worth listening to. Uh, the Bible tells us here, John is intentional here in telling us this takes place about the 10th hour. Uh, that would be about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, about two hours before sundown. Um, several places in, the, in these verses, we're going to see Jesus um, really acting in normal ways, which is kind of weird. But let me tell you what happens here. It's like, hey, it's almost sundown. We better get somewhere. And that's really what's happening here. It's about sundown. We, we, but where are you going? We're going to go with you. And it's the end of the day. And so um, that's what happens in those verses. Verse 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak, one of the two that heard John when he made that announcement and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. All right, a couple, couple interesting things here in this chunk of verses. In verse 40, it says one of the two followers uh, is identified as Andrew. And so, okay, there's two guys that are with John the Baptist. They're disciples of John the Baptist. John says, here's the one we're looking for. Two guys take off. One of them is Andrew. The other is never named. And that's pretty interesting. The other is never named. But here's, here's something I think is pretty awesome. Um, I believe, and I think most other folks believe, this is talking about the Apostle John. And you say, well, how do you... How do you come to that conclusion? If you notice in the Gospel of John, he never names himself. He says the beloved disciple. He says the one who rests upon Jesus' bosom. He says the one that got to the tomb first. 
And so I think it's his pattern. He never talks about himself. And so it says one of the guys is Andrew, but the other, I believe, was John uh, himself. I think that's a pretty awesome thing. Andrew, we see here his very first response was to find his brother Simon, who will become Peter. Uh, notice it says first, and so that would mean, that would mean he's going to find others after that. But the first thing he does is he goes and he finds his brother Simon. Um, that shows us the urgency and probably the excitement and probably the priority uh, that his discovery weighs in on him. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. He goes and finds his brother. He doesn't go and find a religious person. He doesn't go find somebody that, that he can impress uh, with this information. He goes and finds the person he loves, the person he knows, the person that he cares about. Um, I think that's interesting. First, he, he shoots off and he goes and finds his brother. The word for found, translated means learned of, discovered, or to obtain what was sought after. So when you say, we found the Christ, um, you know, I don't, we'll say, well, I didn't know the Christ. You know, what, what's the deal with that? Um, it, it's really not talking about here's his location. It is, but it's bigger than that. Uh, we've been looking for the Christ. We've found him. We've been seeking for the Christ. We have found him. Um, that, that's a pretty awesome thing. Imagine that conversation. Um, we have found the Christ. Here are these guys, normal guys, on a normal day. Uh, all these generations have been looking for the Christ. Promised in scriptures the coming of the Christ. All of, all of those generations. And he comes and says, we have found the Christ. That's mind-blowing. That's a tremendous thing. I can't even imagine that, that conversation. It says here that Jesus gives Simon a new name. It's interesting that name, Peter, uh, Petros, is not a common first proper name at that time. And so now we have a lot of folks named Peter for this reason, but at that time there were, there were common names. Um, this was not one of them. And so it's a, it's a very odd thing uh, to, to say, your name is Rock. And that's basically what he says. Your name is Rock, uh, or he could say your name is Rocky. Uh, here's what I think of that. I think um, it's not a common uh, proper first name. I think it's basically a nickname. And, and I think he sees him and says, there's, there's Rock or there's Rocky. And, and maybe if it's me, he says, there's Rockhead. Um, here's what we're going to see as we move through the gospel accounts. It's a very fitting name. He is hard-headed, but he is solid. He is, he is hard-headed, uh, but he does stand. And so I think it's a very fitting name. He, he looks over, and again, we see Jesus doing a, a normal thing. He gives the guy a, a nickname. You're, you're going to be the Rock. Verse 43 through 45. The next day, Jesus, he purposed to go into Galilee. He's going to keep on moving. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. All right, the next day starts off. 
Jesus is going to go to Galilee. When he does, he runs into Philip. Uh, Philip's in the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. Um, after that, in the progression, it says Philip found Nathaniel. Right? Notice this. Um, there is a progression now that is starting to become a pattern, and that is this. One person finds out who Christ is and goes and finds another person to tell him who Christ is. That is now becoming a pattern, uh, and, and that's going to be a pattern that continues. Um, he's going to go find somebody else uh, to tell, tell them of Christ. All right, think about this for a second. We're going to come back to, to the verses in a second. By nature, if you are a person that's, I think, normal and has some measure of integrity, what do you do with good news? And so I, I'm just, just asking, you receive great news. Rare is the person that just shuts the blinds. And, 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 and so listen, if I were to come in and say, I'm not joking, if you go to Main Street to this address right now, they will give you $1,000. And I went and I got mine and Carrie went and got sheet, got hers and I sent all my kids and I'm not joking. If you'll go, you'll get $1,000. I guarantee you, you'd go and you'd get your 1000 and then you'd call somebody and you'd get texting somebody. Uh, years ago, there was a, a group that decided to pay for gas at Walmart, and they had a certain amount of money, and they said, uh, we're going to pay for this amount of gas at Walmart. And it was the kookiest deal. It sprung up in about 20 minutes, and in 20 minutes, no joke, the 6 o'clock the Channel 6 news from Wichita Falls. How, where did they come from? And then this line goes all the way around and out the driveway, and somebody's got to tell somebody's got to tell somebody, and the news must have been in town for a wreck, and th they show up. If you had the cure for cancer, um, it, here's the cure for cancer. You'd say, you know what? It, it's in Lubbock. It's at this doctor's office. You better go there, and it's, it's, it's real. Um, that is the pattern of what happens here. Uh, they have good news. The pattern is you're going to tell somebody that good news. Verses 46 through 48. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That's a great line. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I like this set of verses, um, this chunk of verses. Nathaniel was skeptical to say the least. And so somebody says, we found the one of whom Scripture is talking. We found the Christ. And Nathaniel's skeptical. And evidently, this is something that has always existed. He's one of those people that believes his hometown is better than the rival hometown. And so I, we still feel that way today, and evidently he felt the same way. And, and so he, he says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When I hear that, I instantly think about Iowa Park. Is there anything good to ever come out of Iowa Park? I don't know that there's been anything good. If you're from there, I'm sorry. Um, and so I think that's him. You know what he's like? Can anything good come out of that town? That's Iowa Park. There's nothing good to come out of there. And Philip says this, come and see. The word for see is deeper than put your eyes on. It means perceive and discern. Uh, Philip is sure that meeting Jesus 
will answer Nathaniel's concerns. If you'll just meet him, if you'll just meet him, if you'll just see him, you'll perceive who he is. Nothing good can come out of that. Well, you just come and see. Um, I think it's pretty interesting as a preacher, as I preach, as I go through and, and do funerals, as I go through and watch people go through stuff of life, I always have this idea, if you could just see Christ. And I think maybe this will be the sermon. Maybe this will be the funeral. If you could just see Christ, and I see people crashing into walls, making bad decisions, brokenhearted, trouble coming, and I always have this idea, if they could just see how much he loves them, if they could just see what he did for them, if they could just see that this is real, that he's the Savior, if they could just see, they'd turn to him and they'd trust him. I can't understand if you'd see him how you wouldn't. Uh, and that's evidently what Philip said. Come and see. If you'll see, uh, you'll understand. At that point, Jesus miraculously tells Nathaniel his whereabouts. I, I saw you under a tree before Philip found him. Nathaniel's response then shows that he knows uh, the identity of Jesus. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. All right. There's two, there's two things to see here uh, from that chunk of verses. First thing we see is this. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. All right, here's this set of verses. What was that about? What's happening in these verses? What is God saying in these verses? Here, here's what we find. This brief little account is really a great discourse on the identity of Jesus. Now, remember what he's doing. He's going around making it known who he is. Well, this little account is a great discourse on the identity of Jesus. As he is beginning to make these truths known, here's what we see in these verses. These first converts are realizing who he is. And so they are hearing who he is. They are seeing who he is they are beginning to understand who he is. They are figuring out who Christ is. Now, when I read that for years, I think, he says it, they believe it, we're done. I, I think it's a process. I think they're measuring, they're weighing against Scripture, they're considering. And so this is the account of these guys realizing who Christ is. It's also a great discourse on the identity of Jesus. Let me show you some things that it says here. Jesus is, verse 35, the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. This means he's the perfect and final sacrifice made for sin and made for sinners. Uh, when they heard Lamb of God, in their minds it would tie together uh, the sacrificial system and the Old Testament understanding of the need for the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. It also would have said Jesus is the one that's going to do that. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the one. Uh, in Jesus, the sins of the world are paid for. Uh, I, as I thought about this, that's probably the hardest one for them to understand. The rest of these, hey, we're looking for a king. Hey, we're looking for a Messiah. But when someone says, that is the Lamb of God, and that's the first time you hear that, and you think, well, well lambs die. Lambs are killed. Uh, He's come, this is the Christ, and they're going to kill him? He's going to die? That, I, I think this is the one, the title is true, the understanding is true. It is now attached to him 
But I think this one, they're having to ponder and going, what does it mean that he's the Lamb of God? So we see here, he's the provision of God for sinners. He's the Lamb of God. Second thing we see in verse 41, he is the Messiah. Uh, Andrew leaves, he hurriedly finds Peter, and he tells them they found the Messiah. That is a statement of huge proportions um, that we probably, it's probably lost on us, probably we can't understand the depth of that. The promised Savior of God. Go all the way back to Genesis. He's been promised. Go all the way back to Abraham. He's been promised. And so the promised Savior of God, uh, we have found him. Uh, For generations, the Israelites had looked for him, had talked about him. Their whole purpose in knowing Scripture was that they would understand him. And and so here uh, they say they find the Messiah. The word literally means the anointed one, um, the one that God had sent as their deliverer. So we see that. Next one we see, um, he, Jesus is the one Scripture had pointed to. That's from verse 45. This also is a pretty crazy thing. He's the one Scripture had pointed to. Now, Philip adds to the understanding of Jesus, stating he was the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now think about this. I, I think this. Today, as we study the Bible, here you are, and I don't know how long you've been a Christian, and I don't know how long you've been studying the Bible, but we at least are tonight, so you're at least somewhere in the process. We are figuring out Jesus is the subject of Scripture. And I think, you know what? Genesis, he's the subject of Scripture. Exodus, he's the subject of Scripture. We're figuring out Jesus is the subject of Scripture. Well, they were figuring out Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. And so they're saying, you remember that promise, Dad Gum? It looks like he meets it. You remember that promise? He was born there too. Remember he's going to come out of Egypt? Didn't he come down from there? And so they're figuring out Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. All right. Moses to them was a, was a hero. He was a big dog. And so Moses had said these things, and they, they loved the word, the, the, the Scriptures of Moses, Can you imagine meeting the one of whom Moses and the prophets was talking about? So, you know, we love those verses. We love those psalms. We love these things, and they are about this guy. And so they're meeting the one of whom Scripture was talking. That's a a crazy thing. Uh, Verse 49, he's also identified as the Son of God. Uh, This title proclaimed by Nathaniel was a messianic title, It was reserved for the one that's divine, uh, the one that would come from God himself to save his people. It's several times in the Old Testament, so he is the son of God. He is divine, and that that statement is attached to him as well. Verse 49, he is the king of Israel. Um, Israel had had long hoped for a king. I think this is probably the first one that they can easily embrace. Um, Messiah, whoo, big. Um, The lamb, oh, that's going to take a little time to to digest. But the king of Israel, they've been looking for a king. They've heard all the stories about when it was awesome. When Remember when David was the king? Do you hear those stories? Remember when we had all the stuff? Remember we had the army and people were scared of it? Uh, And so they're waiting on a king. Man, dadgum, these Romans, we're going to have a king. We're going to overthrow them, and we're going to be the way we were. And so they're looking for a king. Uh, They also knew that the prophecies concerning a king that would sit on the throne of David, uh, the king that would reign eternally. And so here they are hearing, 
the king, it says, is Jesus of Nazareth. This one is the king. So it is a great discourse about the identity of Christ, of Jesus, who he is that's telling us that. All right, the next section, and this is, this is pretty, I think, pretty interesting as to the response. A interesting thing happens as they're figuring out who Jesus is. Um, they want others to hear. They want others to know. And so this come and see actually becomes a theme. Uh, we found him, you come and see. Go get your brother, you come and see. We'll bring him too. And so that actually becomes uh, the response. They urgently want others to find Christ as well. Today, um, our response should be the same. And that's where our lesson gonna, is going to come to an end tonight. Our responses should be the same. Now, the first thing is this. We need to understand who Christ is. And if we do not know who Christ is, we need to see uh, who he is according to God's word. And then we have a decision to make. Are we going to receive him by faith as was always the call? So the first thing is um, when we see he's the savior of the cross, when we see he's resurrected from the dead, we have a decision to make what we're going to believe of Christ. The second part of that is this. If you have found Jesus, you have to, if you have any, any drive at all, want other people to, to know him. Um, I, I, I think it would be a terribly sad thing uh, to know what we have, who we have in Jesus, and be content for other people not, uh, not to find him as well. I think about the verses on Sunday the, the hosts of heaven are saying, come on, let's get this over with. Praise the Lord, this is about done. And yet the reason God hasn't come is because he's patient and kind, desiring that none should perish. We, we ought to have that same heart. And, I, and I, I don't know that we're urgent enough to know your brother, sister, cousin, aunt, grandmother, spouse that doesn't know Christ is in great peril. They're gonna perish outside of Christ. They're gonna be lost forever. Um, how would we not run to tell them. We have to be deliberate in the effort. I'm going to end by, by saying this. We're going to do a version of it in all of our classes tonight. Um, and if, if this is old hat for you, then it'll be a good review um, and maybe tell you, uh, give you a pattern to follow as you go out to lead others to Christ. But maybe it's new information tonight for you. Um, there, there is, and I, I, I've been kind of stirred up for the last couple months uh, that there is a growing discussion about public invitations or an invitation at the end of your service. And, and it's, it's, I don't know why it's becoming popular. There was a big conference about two weeks ago and a lot of the sermons preached there were about the silliness of a public invitation, the emotional uh, pull of, an, of a public invitation. Um, I, I was conversing with somebody and they said, uh, it is arrogant to think that you could lead somebody to Christ and the height of arrogance to try to lead somebody to Christ. And I, and I sat there and thought about, um, I, I don't know, everything we've done has, has been an attempt to lead people to Christ. And, and all these years and all these sermons have been an attempt to lead someone to Christ. And so, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you uh, what, it, what it means to actually follow Jesus Christ. What's this account about? It's about guys realizing who he is. Um, the Bible says we are sinners. All of us are sinners. Uh, the Bible says um, not one person is without sin. 
Um, I, don't, I don't know that I've met people that argue that. I think most of us know, man, I have sinned, I have messed up, I have failed. Um, I think sometimes we want to blame somebody else in, in my environment or my parents or something. We've all sinned. Uh, in our sin, we've earned a punishment. That punishment, the Bible very clearly says is death, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, that death is, is not just a physical death. It is a spiritual death where we're going to be separated from God for eternity. We're separated in our sin. We're going to be separated for eternity. That is our punishment. Uh, Christ comes, and it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. Uh, he loves people. He sees our sinful state. While we were yet sinners, uh, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, he comes and he dies for us. And so a lot of times we think, well, when I go to church enough or I impress enough people or I get, I get a reputation that's better, no, when you're as sorry as you can be, me too, when I was as sorry as I could be in my sin, Christ comes. He comes as the perfect lamb of God. He never sins, not one sin. Because he never sins, he's able to pay our penalty. That's what the cross of Calvary is about. We have cross jewelry. We have cross pictures hanging around. That's what the cross is about. Jesus comes. He never sins. Because he never sins, he's able to go to the cross, and he's able to pay your penalty. He's able to pay my penalty. That's what he does. Um, for my sin, he takes the wrath of God, the anger of God, poured out on him, and he pays the penalty. Well, remember, the penalty is death. He actually physically, literally dies on the cross of Calvary. He didn't fake a death. It didn't appear as a death. Um, he literally, actually, physically died paying for sin. Uh, it is paid for in him. To tell us die, he says, uh, paid in full is what it means. Uh, it is finished. And so he pays for sin on the cross of Calvary. They take him off the cross, and that, that account is staggering to me to think um, he dies on the cross, but they, they actually pull him dead off of that cross. Uh, they come and they wrap him up. They put him in a grave. He's actually dead. They shut the, they shut the tomb, and the Bible says three days later, uh, he comes out of that tomb. And when he comes, guess what? Sin has been paid for, and now the receipt is received, and he stands as the risen, resurrected Savior. So you know what? He loves us. You know what? He comes, he lives a life with no sin. You know what? He pays for our sin. That's what he's doing on the cross of Calvary. He dies my death. He dies your death, taking our punishment. They put him in a grave. Three days later, he walks out of that grave. Greatest event, greatest day, he walks out of the grave and he stands and he's alive. That is a fact. Um, that is a fact. Uh, witnessed by as many as 500 resurrected. The apostles watched them. Uh, they go to their graves. One of the people say, well, how do you believe this? How do you believe this? There are several ways I believe this. One of them is you watch the lives of the apostles. If they thought this was a hoax, after they killed the first two, you think the third one's going to say, I don't know, I'm just going to go back to fishing. They take stones, they throw James off the top of the temple. He lives, they take stones and they smash him with rocks. You think the rest of them are at their house and say, I think I'm going to do something else. They're killing us for this. And another and another and another, all the way to John on the Isle of Patmos, they stick with the account. He was dead, we saw him dead, we saw him alive. He stands as the risen Savior. That is a fact. Here's the deal. There has to be a place when we say, you know what, I see my sin, and I hate my sin, and I'm sick of my sin. 
and my sin, I, I wish I could take it back. I have regret and shame, and some of it you'll never even know about, but I know about it. And when I see that, and then I see a Savior for sin, he's paid for it. Um, he's, he's settled it. He's the remedy for it. And if I will trust him, if I will trust him, you know what the Bible says? Therefore, if you'll confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Christ Jesus is our Lord. You know what the Bible says? You shall be saved. Payment paid, settled in Christ. So here's what it means. There has to be a place when you say, you know what, I, I'm sick of my sin. Sorry for my sin. I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When you do that, not in church attendance, not in baptism, in no other thing, but by faith in Jesus, you are saved. Let me tell you something. If I could say that every day, I'd say it every day to somebody. Uh, if you could say that every day, somebody at your job needs to know that. But I want to tell you this. If you've never done that, and I, I always say, we run into folks, and they've heard so many stories like that, and they think, I'm cold to that. I, or, or, if you've never done that, you ought to do that right now. You ought to say to them, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Save me. And the best I know how, I'm going to walk with you as my Savior. Some folks get upset about a Lord, a, a prayer, a sinner's prayer. You know how we talk to God in prayer. And I, there's no magic formula, but you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I, I'm sorrowful over it. And the best I know how, I'm going to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe who you are. When that happens, you're saved. If you've never done that, do that. If that's not settled, settle that. If you need more information, you come, you find me tonight, you find me when this is over, you find me tomorrow, we'll settle it. But then here's the flip side of that. If you know that enough to believe that, then you know that enough to tell somebody that. And there's a whole lot of folks that are grinding it out under the shame and the guilt and the weight of their sin that need to hear there is a Savior in Jesus. There is a Savior in Jesus. I, I sit here and go, all the things you could hear, greatest thing you could hear is born for us today in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We have a Savior in Jesus. If you've never done something about that, settle it tonight. If you have, be deliberate and say, well, I'm going to tell some folks about my Savior Jesus. What good news we have. What good news we have. This is an account of people's lights coming on. Philip, Nathaniel, we found the one of whom Moses was speaking. Praise the Lord for that. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Glad you were here tonight. Great Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. Most of all, we're thankful for your grace and your kindness to save us as sorry, messed up sinners. Lord, I'm thankful that, that you seeing me demonstrate your love that while I was yet a sinner, you came and you, you paid for my sin. Lord, I'm thankful that you're alive today, that you're resurrected from the grave. I put my hope in you, my trust in you. I pray for us as a church that this will be the core of everything we do, everything we teach, every, every song we sing, that this will be the center of it. Lord, I pray for our kids tonight who are hearing that truth. And I pray for kids that are going to hear every sorry piece of crud. I pray that tonight there's some that hear of Jesus for the first time and trust him. I pray for our youth tonight that there's going to be some tonight for the very first time turn to him and trust him. And then I pray for us as adults. If there's somebody that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray any hindrance will be removed. And tonight we'd trust you. And then I pray we'd walk out of here encouraged, filled with joy, ready to tell somebody else that good news. We love you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here tonight.